Hello and welcome to the Artsy Podcast. I'm your host, Isaac Kaplan, joined this week by editor Casey Lesser. Hey, Isaac. And associate editor Abigail Kane. Welcome, Abby, from behind the uh, soundboard. Hey. In mid-October, Second Lady Karen Pence outlined her platform on art therapy. We're going to talk a little bit about the politics around that announcement and what that really means in a bit. But first, Casey, you wrote a whole article kind of outlining what art therapy is. One thing that really struck me is the complete misunderstandings that are out there around art therapy and and what that term is actually describing. Yeah. So in general, I think that it's easy to confuse art therapy and therapeutic art making. So, you know, a lot of adults and maybe some children have experienced being engrossed in an art activity. So you're either doing a painting or in a ceramics class and you're really engrossed in the activity and it makes you feel good. That is a therapeutic experience, but that's not art therapy. So with art therapy, you really need a professional art therapist involved, a client, and then the art making. So an art therapist has a degree in how to administer this type of therapy. They have a degree in like psychotherapy too, right? Like they're baseline therapists that also have some sort of art training, right? Yeah, so it's an integrative degree where they are learning not just about psychology, but also art making. So it's a master's degree and anyone going into that degree program, there are 35 programs at colleges across the United States, um, has background in psychology and studio art. So what's an example of art therapy so what happens in an art therapy session yeah Yeah, versus like just a regular therapy session for example or versus like an art class yeah at home right by yourself so what abby was getting at before is that art therapists are trained to do therapy that even doesn't involve art so an example of a session could be um you know working with children who have autism. Um, It could be like a mural project where they're learning to cooperate and communicate with one another while also working on their motor sensory skills and, you know, drawing or painting on a large sheet of paper. But at the same time, you know, art therapy has so many applications that there's no kind of formulaic activity that, you know, would apply to everyone. And Art therapists have certain exercises that they use for certain populations and for certain treatment goals. So obviously it can be a lot of different things, Casey, but I know you mentioned, at least in your article, a couple of different specific like sessions that had been described to you by one of the art therapists that you talked to. I thought the range of people that they were treating was actually really interesting, too, because I know there were some people who were dealing with eating disorders. And then you've also written about veterans with PTSD. So maybe, I don't know, talk a little bit about what those different sessions can look like? Yeah, so um, I spoke with Dr. Donna Betts, who was the uh, president of the American Art Therapy Association, and she gave a specific example. She was working with a group of uh, young people with eating disorders, and one exercise that she used with them was this bridge drawing exercise. So uh, the premise was that the patients would draw a bridge and on each side of the bridge represent a different place. Um, And intuitively, they would kind of represent their current state with their eating disorder, which was kind of this dark, dismal place. And then on the other side of the bridge, they would picture their life in recovery, which was decidedly more 
bright and optimistic. Mm-hmm. And so they would use that drawing as a way to communicate, you know, their goals and to process their current state and how they want to be living and how they want to improve. Well, and it seems like at least from what I've been reading also, like that's a big part of what art therapy can do that other types of therapy don't necessarily do that you can start to picture something without actually having to talk about it. Yeah, it's a way to unlock emotions. And so that could make you more comfortable speaking about something or just, you know, being able to picture it non-verbally can be really helpful for a lot of people. So um, it's just another way of expressing yourself that, you know, we're not accustomed to doing on a daily basis. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting too, in case you kind of touched on this in your piece, you know, I've read a little bit and written a little bit about how art making is viewed in England as uh, benefiting to people's health. Viewed in England like the government has like signed off on it or in what what sense? Well, it was a report a few months ago that drew on two years worth of other research that kind of compiled the relationship between art making and health. Okay. And one... Art therapy was part of it, as was sort of the benefit around just making art, you know, anecdotally and seen in in other instances not guided by a professional therapist, which I think is interesting as well. But, you know, one thing that the report kind of talked about was the fact that it is very difficult or there is still a barrier in terms of getting people to kind of really buy into this as, as actually real treatment. You know, I mean, I think therapy went through that as well. I think today it's much more accepted than it was a few decades ago as as potentially yielding real mental health outcomes. And if you look at art therapy, I think that process is only beginning. And and I think part of that, looking shifting back to the United States, is because it is such a small field and it isn't licensed with the same national rigor as doctors or, or therapists. Can you maybe talk a little bit about where even art therapy is licensed and the state of the field today? Or just how many art therapists there are in yeah. the country? So there are under 6,000 registered art therapists today in the United States. Which is a really small number in comparison to the something like 106,000 psychologists that are practicing today in the U.S. Yeah, and so the fact that there are so few art therapists accounts for why you can only access art therapy in certain states. And it's worth also mentioning that The United States and the UK kind of have the most rigorous art therapy programs in the world. Um, And in the UK, it's regulated on a national level. In the US, it's regulated on a state level. At this point, there are only 12 states in the US where you can get a license in art therapy. And having a license is important to be able to hold that person accountable for the treatment that they're administering as well as insurance matters. Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering when it comes to insurance, I mean, is this widely accepted by insurance carriers or is it actually just sort of difficult to know given the fractured landscape of insurance? Yeah, I, I'm i not super well-versed on this. I don't know a ton about the instance of insurance, but I do know that if you can't get a license to be an art practicing art therapist in the state, then you also can't bill the insurance in that state. So if there's only 12 states that would really restrict how many people can get it put on their insurance. Yeah, well, so in terms of the tangible impact of Karen Pence's sort of agenda, I mean, I'm 
curious what it, is this one of the things that she's remedying what, what what is she what is she attempting to kind of do to the profession yeah so she laid out a three-point plan and the first one is to really help people understand what art therapy is that it's not just you know making art by yourself at home because it feels good it is a real profession mm-hmm. um the second thing was to let people know that this is out there this is something that's helping people with illnesses and Um, mental health disorders and the third thing was to also raise awareness to encourage young people to go into the profession Um, and another thing that when we're talking about how it is such a small profession um, that also means that it's hard to do research um, and it's hard to get funding for it and funding and research on why this is effective is how it's going to grow as a field and how more people are going to want to access it. Casey, I'm kind of curious to the extent that you can kind of know the answer to this question. What are the politics around her involvement? I mean, how do people in the profession view it? Because obviously anything near the Trump administration is extremely instantly politicized and made controversial. Right. So this it it became public that this was her platform um, on Inauguration Day when they put up the new website for the White House. And... um, Shortly after, the art therapy community spoke out on it, and a lot of art therapists were uh, perturbed because of, you know, the principles that Mrs. Pence and her husband stand for. Um, Well, I think it was particularly, at least some of the stuff I saw was that they were, I mean, they're particularly anti-immigration, and a lot of people work with immigrants, like their their clients are immigrants. Right. It's an incredibly inclusive field. You know, Mm -hmm. it's being applied to all different kinds of populations of people. And um, and that's another thing. They want it to become more inclusive. So anyway, basically, it's been very divisive among the art therapy community. We were just looking at this Facebook group that was started shortly after uh, her platform was announced called Art Therapists for Human Rights. And there are currently over 1,500 members. So uh, it's a private group. Presumably, those 1,500 people are art therapists or aspiring art therapists. So if it's a 6,000 person field, that's a quarter of it. But the American Art Therapy Association is working with her and they're going to make sure that, you know, all of this attention that's being directed towards the field is channeled into, you know, positive outcomes. And, you know, it's being, it's helping the field move forward um, in the right ways. I mean, you spoke to the president of the Art Therapy Association. Did you kind of put this question sort of directly to her and what did, how, how would you kind of characterize the way she was talking about the involvement? It's very widely acknowledged that the American Art Therapy Association is all for this. And even this Facebook group is calling for them to call her out and ask her, her to speak directly to being more inclusive in this platform. But, you know, I spoke to Dr. Donna Betts, who is actually the outgoing president at this point. They have like termed presidents. Um, but she was saying that they have all intentions to continue to work with her and make sure that, you know, art therapy is publicized in the right way. But Casey, you were also talking about another conflict of interest earlier about the fact that a lot of at least the art therapy programs that are sponsored by the government are like jointly funded by the NEA and the Department of Defense, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. So there's this one program called Creative Forces, which is a partnership between the NEA and the Department of Defense. Um, and that funds art therapy programs now at 11 sites across this country that are specifically for um, 
the military for service members who are dealing with PTSD and traumatic brain injuries and the symptoms of those. And so those are highly successful programs with a lot of funding. Um, Have they been around for a long time? No, the uh, it was well, it was started in 2011, but it was in 2016 that this expanded to um, 11 sites. Okay, so it's like pretty, pretty brand new, at least in the uh, in the news. It, it's not brand new in that like it grew out of like a writing program that was specifically for veterans. So, I mean, something really interesting is that a lot of the art therapy research that's been done is through this program because there's so much funding for it. Huh. Um, and so in that way, it, you know, it's a really positive program, but it's also kind of raises a lot of questions given the current state of the NEA. Isaac, do we know what the state of the NEA is right now? Like funding right. wise? <laughs> the best it's ever been. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the proposed elimination of the NEA, which was initially included in President Trump's like budget proposal, earlier this year that's been abandoned essentially not so much by the trump administration but simply by the reality um which is that the nea is fully funded and is still in existence but even still there is a contradiction between what the administration has called for and these art therapy programs in my in my estimation at least yeah i mean it the two don't really seem to align but um you know, at least this NEA program, Creative Forces, um, is having a really positive impact and they seem very secure in their future. Casey, you just published a piece specifically on Creative Forces this week, right? Yes. So can you tell us a little bit about how art therapy is being used with these veterans? Yeah. So um, at these Creative Forces sites, which are in military hospitals and clinics, um, art therapists are working with service members who, you know, maybe their treatment goals are emotional regulation that's, you know, caused by PTSD. And so in that case, they're, you know, using art making as a way to process their emotions, to understand their triggers, to identify triggers when they're, you know, in the middle of an episode or having an outburst and they found that through these specific art programs um, they're able to do that you know a treatment goal could be to lessen nightmares and to get better sleep and in those cases they're finding that service members are um, you know they're able to process what those nightmares are and understand them for what they are as opposed to having these like really upsetting experiences they witness them almost after doing art therapy as though they're kind of like sitting in a movie and, you know, watching them. So they just become um, able to process them in a much better way. One of the exercises that uh, the service members do in their kind of introductory program to this creative forces is a mask making activity. And so they're given a blank mask and then asked to express themselves, their sense of self on this mask. And um, so you see these masks and there are a lot of them that kind of visualize the wounds of war. So like injuries and uh, stitches and they're kind of, some of them are a bit gruesome. Um, but then others are kind of have like a holistic narrative picture that describes their life, their family life. Some of them 
portray historic figures or figures from popular culture. Um, and these masks have been really not only kind of a means of art therapy, but also a means of research. And so researchers who are also funded by creative forces have gone through hundreds of these masks and looked for patterns, and they've been able to um, draw correlations between a person's creative output and their mental well-being. Huh. So like, like, you mean like the themes that they're exploring and whatever masks they're making, they can tell how much they've recovered? Yeah, well, more they can tell like the state of their mental health. So, for example, um, they found that those masks were the service member is portraying a holistic picture. Um, there are more kind of optimistic signs for their recovery, mm. whereas a more fragmented picture. Um, so like visual, like you know, divided parts within the mask that has kind of um, more negative connotations towards, you know, their recovery. So Casey, kind of looking ahead at the future of art therapy, what what does it kind of look like in five years and in 10 years? I don't know if I could speak to that specific time frame, but <laughs> according to like the that. American Art Therapy Association, some of their critical priorities are really to raise awareness, which totally aligns with Karen Pence's plan, um, but also to make the field more diverse. Right now, it's primarily white women who are art therapists, so um, it's really important to diversify the people that are able to administer art therapy. Um, and, and I then, imagine the geographical distribution. Yeah. Because I was reading that 20% of art therapists are either in New Jersey or New York, which makes sense because there's so many people here, but also right, not right. 20% of the people. No. <laughs> um, but that's also a goal to increase the states where there is licensure and to just increase the number of art therapists in all. The, the other thing would definitely be research to be able to demonstrate the efficacy of art therapy in order to, you know, as I was talking about before, to build the critical momentum that the field would need to expand and really reach a larger population. All right, Abby, where in the art world are you going to be drinking white wine this week? I think I will be making the long trek up to the Met this weekend. I live deep in Brooklyn, so it's far. I would like to see a couple of shows there, but the one I'm most excited about is this one called Relative Values, which actually our intern Kim, who's running the board today, has written a wonderful story about. Um, but basically the premise of the show is they have a bunch of objects from the Northern Renaissance, which they've displayed with their uh, value in cows. So how many cows each of these things were worth? So like how many cows a tapestry was worth? How many cows this, you know, jewel bedecked goblet was worth? Which I think they've done a bunch of different like mathematical equations to actually get the value in cows because not everything was bought via cows. Things weren't bought via cows. Cows were just a stable like measure of currency to have like this baseline to compare right. things. Right. Things, so, so the cow was the dollar basically. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, Casey, what about you? Where are you going to be drinking white wine? Um, there are two new shows opening this week on November 9th, this evening, of Nina Chanel Abney at Jack Chapman Gallery on 20th Street and Mary Boone on 24th Street. She makes these uh, vibrant figurative paintings that address issues of race, sex, politics. So it'll be really exciting to see her work across these two big shows. What about you, Isaac? 
Thank you for asking me, Abby. I will be going to the Club 57 exhibition at MoMA. It focuses in on Club 57, which was a performative space in the East Village. Very influential, apparently. Um, I will report back with more info when I when I see it, but it looks really interesting. Wait, what time period? Like the 60s? Late 70s to the early 80s. All right, I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks so much to Abby and Casey for joining me here this week. Please remember to rate and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Send us any feedback you have. We'd love to hear from you. The email for that is podcast at artsy.net. See you next time. Our producer this week, as always, associate editor Abigail Kane. We got extra production help from our intern, Kim Hart. Our theme music is by Broke for free. <laughs>